Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Apparently, I'm a co-host. Yeah, yeah, that whole uh, mouth dry because we were talking Don't worry, before. Man. We were talking it's, before the show for a good, a good like, 15, 20 minutes. It was, yeah, it was good. I don't know if we talked that long, but yeah, yeah. we did talk a bit. But um, I will say this. Uh, I had a decent Christmas up until the very end when I had to jam something up my nose. But um, right now I'm eating, like, leftover ham, as you do. Mm-hmm. You know, as you've you got do. ham yep. leftover. Um, well, I'm not eating it right now because I'm, obviously I'm talking. But regardless... I've got a plate here of leftover ham and the whitest thing possible to eat with leftover ham, which is jalapeno cheese whiz, (laughs) which is like you took something fairly, you know, fairly strongly Latin American and you turned it into the whitest thing possible. Kudos, cheese whiz. Um, The thing is, though, is if you just want to make queso type dip really fast, cheese whiz is great because you throw in like some real cheddar. Mm hmm. And then you throw the cheese whiz on top of the cheese whiz will melt and form a bond that will thus you don't get the oil everywhere. You know what I'm talking about when you melt real cheese and it's like there's oil everywhere and it's it's not because real cheddar doesn't want to melt or real, you know, it's just the way cheese is. So this stuff or Velveeta works really well as a binder. I was just going to say that's the for for those of you at home that those are like for for me, that was a family tradition, too, was using the Velveeta for that. Right. Yeah. Velveeta or cheese whiz is pretty much almost the same thing. The cheese was a little bit more soft than Velveeta, but otherwise it's based, they both melt really well. They both work well as a binder. So that's what I've been eating. Cause you know what? F it. It's the holidays. Yeah. So for, <sighs> for those of you that are listening to this, uh, this is the last episode of 2021. Uh, Christmas has just passed for those of you that celebrate it. Uh, Hanukkah should just be uh, over not too long ago as well. Uh, or any of the other holidays that are generally uh, celebrated around this time. I think. Got to give a shout out to Yule for my wife. uh, That's her holiday. Shout out to Yule. And uh, Three Kings Day will be coming up for those that celebrate it of the, uh, I know, Puerto Rican and Italian persuasion, uh, because my family celebrates it as well. Uh, But yeah, so we're going to be finishing off the year before we get into anything new endeavors. Um, And I want to, first of all, thank everybody who's been sending us questions for games that aren't Warcraft or Blizzard related. We've actually gotten a bunch of them and we are starting to plan a new series of, of shows uh, based around those. And also some of the games that Matt and I just want to talk about. Um, we are going to start doing that and put them out there starting next year, which at the time of this recording as well next week. Um, so we're hope that you will be with us for that journey. We're not going to abandon uh, Warcraft or, or, or Diablo or Overwatch or any of the other stuff. Uh, you know, we're not leaving it completely behind, but yeah, we want to just broaden the perspective and broaden the scope. Uh, Plus, I mean, you know, quite frankly, Diablo's got stuff coming out. So yeah, we'll probably we're going to definitely talk about, about it. it. Yeah, yeah. When Diablo Immortal comes out, like actually releases, we'll talk about that and so forth. Yeah, with Diablo Immortal, Diablo Four, Overwatch Two is still on the calendar. Although, it's, I mean, even with it's moved, been moved back, we'll talk about that as well. 
And when inevitably they announce the next expansion for World of Warcraft, we have plenty of stuff to talk about there as well. So we're not going to abandon it. And I don't want you to think that we're going to just want to make sure that it's clear. Um, but Matt and I had talked about this for a while ago. And I know I've talked with many of you, our listeners, uh, in one-on-one conversations about it, uh, where we've talked about how much we love other games and particularly story-driven games. As a matter of fact, before... I started hosting this podcast before Lorewatch ever existed. That was my bread and butter is I ran a show about nothing but story driven video games. It's been a big part of my life forever. It's what got me into lore in the first place. So being able to share some of the other stuff with you guys is very exciting for me. And I think it's also exciting for Matt. He can tell me if I'm- uh, I mean, it is exciting, but I try to maintain this constant air of being somewhat cynically detached. So I'm going to pretend it's not and try and look cool over here. Yeah, whatever. Man. So you're you're a cat. But, Got it. Yeah, I, I am indeed. I've actually had people tell me that. Like seriously, I'm I'm basically just a cat in human form. Now that said, if you guys do have questions about whether it's Blizzard stuff or not, uh, or other games, and or if you have ideas for shows that you want us to do, uh, like somebody did send in something along the lines of why haven't us do something with Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, um, go ahead and send those into us. You can go ahead and send them into uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Send us an email. Uh, we'll be sure to get that. Just make sure you specify that is for us uh, on the Lore Watch and tell us what you want to hear. And if you don't want to do email, we do have several Discord channels. Uh, Patreon supporters get first crack at that. So if you are a Patreon supporter, first of all, thank you. Second of all, head over to our Discord channel and toss it in our Patreon uh, podcasting Q questions channel. Let us know what topics you want us to cover or if there's a game you want us to go in depth about or something that we might be you might be interested in hearing more about. You'd be surprised how many people out there would love to know more about X game. Just Go ahead and throw it out there. See what happens. Uh, and if you don't uh, want to email us and you can't support us on Patreon, and you don't have access to the Patreon channel, go ahead and send it into our Q and uh, podcast questions channel. We'll be sure to look there as well. But before we get into any remaining questions that we do have for the year, I thought it would be nice to take a look back at the last year that's existed, uh, not in terms of the world state, because, well, existential crisis, uh, but more in terms of what we've covered here on the show. And I thought we'd maybe spend a little bit of time talking about some of our favorite topics or shows or uh, things that we did that we really enjoyed uh, throughout the last year. And uh, I'll actually go ahead and start with one of mine, uh, giving Matt a little bit time to think about it. One of the things that I was really uh, happy to do and I thought was really great uh, is this past year we did a couple different series. Uh, we did a series of lore for the Diablo classes, uh, ranging from Diablo 1 through Diablo 3, uh, covering everything and going into why they're important and how the world of Diablo is formed by it. And I was really nice for me because as much as I love Diablo, I will never love it quite as much as Matt does. And so it was really exciting for me to kind of sit back and let Matt go. Uh, not just because I like the sound of his voice, but because he knows things that I don't and he reads things and has sort of viewpoints that I would never have considered or maybe not made connections to. And so it was really, really nice. And it felt like I was sitting in on a little bit of behind the scenes sort of like, uh, I don't want to say like a professor, like giving class, but that's kind of what it felt like. I learned a lot through that as uh, just in general. And it was very exciting for uh, the other series that I really liked doing was when we did the uh, Dungeon and Raid series, where we talked about the the different raids and, and how they tied into the overall story for World of Warcraft, starting with uh, Vanilla WoW and moving our way up. We're still going to continue doing that at some point. We have many more expansions to go, trust me. Uh, but it was really nice to do because I think that's something that a lot of people maybe over the course of years have forgotten how much the old raids still tie into the story. They just weren't as overt about it necessarily as the new ones are. The new ones, you get a quest that sends you in, uh, your story gets told there and you have to, you know, you complete it and you get your cinematic or you get whatever uh, it's going to give you. And then it leads you on to the next, the next phase of the story. But back in the day, it wasn't so overt. It was a thing that was expected for you to do. And as a matter of fact, I remember uh, many people used to levy this, this criticism that they hid lore and hid story behind raid content, uh, which they did, but it was maybe sometimes some of that, that connection was never overly apparent. So being able to go through, talk about how it shaped things and not just shape things, but informed later raids was really exciting for me because it was one of those intersections where game mechanics and lore sort of fuse together and inform the game as a whole. Uh, so being able to talk about that, explore that and, and discuss it. And again, get other perspectives 
uh, was very exciting for me because again, Matt has plenty of perspective that I just don't have. And so it was, it was a great, it was, they were great discussions. Uh, definitely some of the highlights for my year. How about you, Matt? Well, actually this one's technically from 2020, but it's from the, it's literally the last podcast of 2020. It counts. Uh, where we did a roundup of the Shadowlands expansion to date, like the lore of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I thought it was a really good roundup. I thought it was something that we did a good job on and it kind of kicked off a bunch of interesting Shadowlands discussions that we had. Like when we talked about the first ones that was in like, like late January, um, See, I'm going to just be up front. I went back and looked at all of our stuff while he was talking because he took mine. He talked about the Diablo thing. And I was like, damn it, that was mine. I was going to mention that. So Sorry. It can uh, still be yeah. in your list. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, what's to say that you didn't already say? <laughs> I think our interview with Steve Denuser was a real highlight. Oh, um, yeah. That was in February. And yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to Steve. I enjoyed getting his perspective. I enjoyed the way he blew us off on several things very, very nicely and gently. Uh, but definitely didn't tell us stuff because, of course, he didn't. He I couldn't. mean, there was stuff coming. You know, he could have, but you know, his job is to not. Yeah, I was going to um, say he likes. He, I, I, don't, I don't blame you, Steve. I also would like being gainfully employed and continuing to do what I love to do. So, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, another one that I thought was actually pretty good for more of what you added than anything I had to say about it was: is, Are we going to get WoW 2.0? And if we do, what would the lore reset be? Um, I really? think generally, yeah, well, just because I think in general, we both kind of dismissed it. Like the, there's not going to be a wow 2.0. It's not going to happen. But my response to that is always very much a shutdown. You went with why it wouldn't happen. And I think that was an interesting way to, to look at it. Um, in, in general, I thought it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, but I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, you mentioned the raid stuff, which we did. And we, we did a lot of that. And that's, that was pretty cool. I thought, um, <clears throat> We got up to Coil Fang, I think. I don't. We, think we, got, we got through. Coilfang. We got through. We didn't do the eye. We didn't get through the eye yet. Yeah. So at some point we'll probably go back to it. Um, trying to think of anything else. Uh, I think that's basically the the recent Sylvanas post we did. The one we talked about the cinematic and so forth. Also thought that was pretty good. Again, because Joe, uh, this is turning into a bro fest where I like we like. Oh, and Joe <laughs> did this. Yeah. But regardless, I think Joe did a good job of explaining the stuff that isn't textual it the 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 visual and uh sonic so, i mean you know the, the the sound and the look and how that's used to tell the story because that's something we forget sometimes yeah uh that it is just as much about what they show you uh as what they tell you and i thought that was a really good one so those would be the ones i mentioned i think those are the, the i mean especially that den user interview i think we did a really good job on that so yeah, that's that's me tooting our horn. Those are the <laughs> episodes I thought we did well. I will say, however, that the, the Diablo one was the most fun I've had in a long time on the show. You can be, tell, not too, because, like, when you're yeah, listening to it, you can tell. Not not because, you know, Joe had to shut up and listen to me because I don't I don't like that. But because it was in depth on stuff that I don't know that a lot of people talk, think about too much. Like Diablo does something that WoW doesn't really do, at, at least not until Legion. And then it makes the classes you play, they aren't just classes you play. Like if you're a demon hunter, yes, you're a member of a class, but you're also a member of an order. And there's an, there's a, it has an origin point and it's, it's part of the world. Uh, the paladins were very much that the Templars are that, um, the witch doctor has a whole bunch of lore about places that you don't normally hear about in Diablo. Um, there's, there's a good amount, like the necromancers, the monks, the assassins, the druids, uh, the barbarians, it all comes from a place in the world. They're all rooted in the world. And I like that. Uh, it's one of the things I used to like about like some of my favorite D and D prestige classes were always, uh, in third edition, were always rooted to the world. It wasn't like, you know, just generic. It was, it was always like, you know, Knight of the fallen chalice or what have you type stuff or arcane archer is very much rooted, like similar to the elven blade singer, but with arrows, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, and that's really seen in Diablo more so than you get say in world of Warcraft. Where I, because they need to try to make a class work for all these different cultures, they kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down because people use that way too much. They pare it down to its essence, right? I think that would be more accurate. Yeah. Well, they have to make it so that, you know, an orcish grunt and a a stormwind soldier are basically both warriors and they use basically the same kit. So if you're playing an orc warrior or an, an, an elf warrior or a human warrior, they still all have basically the same toolkit. 
and I understand why that is, but then you lose stuff like Mountain Kings mm-hmm. and, you know, there, there's just a, a bunch of stuff that you don't get to do because it can't be unique. The way, if you look at Warcraft 3, the various units are unique. Like the, the, orc, the orcs have their, you know, blade masters and that's unique to orcs and you don't see that anywhere else. Um, there's other units, like the humans have their own units that are also cool and unique, but it's just different. And that's something that Diablo preserves. So I was, I had a fun time talking about that. I, I want to call out to like having Anne back for the 200 epi- episode this year was, Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Was yeah. absolutely a highlight. And, Anne, I know you listen to this. We love and miss you still. Um, and I know that uh, our listeners, you guys out there made it very clear that you would miss Anne as well. Not because you hated us, uh, but because it was nice to have Anne back because we launched this all together, right? Anne was here from the very beginning, and having her back for that was a very special moment. Um, another thing that I really want to point out is we received a ton of very good thought-provoking questions throughout the course of this year. Um, and I like one of the ones that really stood out to me, or at least one that I really enjoyed, uh, was when somebody asked us about the Army of Light and what would happen if the Army of Light came to Azeroth. And it spawned an entire episode, essentially, of talking about what would an expansion in which the light as the villain would look like. Uh, and it was, from my perspective, it was interesting because there's this there's this pervasive thought that the light is just good and the void is just bad, and that's it. It's very black and white, very binary. And having a discussion where we were actually able to break down, like, no, here's what it would look like. Here's here's how it could work. Here's how the story beats could occur was a great exercise because it shows, at least in my mind, that it's a, like these things are more nuanced than a binary solution. So, like, you can look at the light and the light can be complicated and messy. It doesn't have to be just, you know, one thing because it's many different one things to many different people. So it sort of fits in, whereas the void is just everything to everyone all the time. And it's just inherently messy. But we've seen instances of it getting order and and structure applied to it. So being able to go back and, and sort of puzzle that out with, you know, with Matt and, and have an entire discussion about it was really exciting. Um, I like doing stuff like that. I like if it's not necessarily a full on tinfoil hat, which we've had plenty of those thanks to some wonderful questions from your listeners, but just kind of being able to go back and and dissect something and create something that could be, that has a reasonable chance of existing because the framework is there. Not that it ever would, but that it could was a fun exercise for me. It was actually one of the most fun episodes I had recording uh, just because it was every time, like it's one of those episodes, like if you listen to it, I would say something and Matt would be like, oh, but what about this? And then Matt would say something and I'd be like, oh, what about this? I love those episodes where we collaboratively build off each other and spiral out of control a little bit, which is honestly, it's uh, super fun to do. Uh, but yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I it's been a wonderful year so far. Was there any other standouts for, for you? I mean, as far I, as that goes? I like to think that we're all pretty good. Um, quite frankly, uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, we do have a discussion about whether or not dark Ranger class should be introduced, which I honestly felt was a little bit on the borderline between this show and the other show. Yeah. Uh, but it was a fun talk. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm looking now and there's like diving into Diablo two lore and more lore and story of Diablo two. And it's like, you, you really just, that'd be good. Let's, let's do more of that. Let's, Honestly, wouldn't mind doing a discussion of the lore of Diablo, the original Diablo, because you want to talk messed up. Oh, yeah. Original Diablo, because keep in mind, they didn't know if they were going to get a sequel to that thing. They had no idea how if it was going to be a massive hit or not. I mean, they wanted it to be what to do well, but you never know. So every time I look at Diablo and the, the way that Diablo worked, no other Diablo game has ever tried to be that self-contained. The rest of them have all traveled the world. Mm-hmm. Like Diablo 2, Diablo 3, Diablo Immortal is going to, Diablo 4 almost certainly is going to. Diablo didn't. Diablo, you show up in a town and that's where everything happens. There's only one place you actually go. It's like Tristram Cathedral. That's it. That's where everything happens in that game. So it is interesting to me like to look back at that. And if we ever did talk about that, it'd be great. But I liked Diablo 2 just for setting up. It's For people who'd never played it and before this year, that was a lot of people because the game is 22 years old. Yeah. There are people playing games right now who are like, you know, half that age. Um, of course, they didn't play it. 
they weren't even a fetus yet. So I, I had fun talking about the story. That's one I would throw. Another one I really enjoyed us uh, covering as well is actually from January of last year uh, or 2020, uh, which I'm going to include in here because we carried over into 2021 with it a little bit. Uh, and I didn't realize that we did this, but we kind of we kind of circled back on it a couple of times. Uh, the old topic of why night elves should be paladins and the case for it and how we sort of broke that down. We we did that multiple times. Uh, we did that originally in, like I said, January 2020. Uh, but in 2021, we also went through uh, because we had a question from a listener who asked us to sort of define all of paladinhood for all of the races and how how it could and should work. Uh, and we we broke that down. And I always thought that was fun, too, because one of the one of the things I like doing is taking a look at the the in-game cultures of the, the various races of Warcraft. And they are pretty unique when you actually like look at them on paper um, or look at them through the lore, the lore lens instead of just game mechanics and seeing how they view things and seeing the similarities, it, it really breaks down like some of the parallels to real, real life, uh, where like when I was in college, one of the things we, I, I, I really loved studying was world religion in particular proto religion, uh, where like you would, you could take a look at like different areas of the world where different religions have sprung up and see the similarities and sort of like the early versions of those religions where like you would carry ideas from like, you know, Greece and Rome and Mesopotamia as places and trace it back and see like, Oh, okay. I could see where this evolved into this and this evolved into this. And there is actually a lot of that in Warcraft. There's a lot of like carryover and it feels like when they finally started fleshing out the races, because again, they didn't expect World of Warcraft to to really exist. This is another thing where it was a great experiment. They expect they expected it to maybe last two years at most. Uh, they were that was their 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 like long view plan is like, hey, we're gonna make it two years because MMOs at that time were um, I don't even know what the word is. They were just like if you weren't EverQuest, you weren't successful. Um, and then WoW hit, and it was like lightning in a bottle. It just it took off. It was just fantastic and, and people latched onto it and it became such a, a big part of like pop culture that they started fleshing out all of these little tiny things that they never really bothered to back in Warcraft 3, right? And so you got deep Torn lore, you got deep gnome lore, you got uh, all sorts of backstory uh, of all these different races that weren't just humans or orcs and being able to see like where the lo- crossover is, where the the... the the overlap is where maybe, oh, I can see where they may have interacted with a Titan or a Titan Watcher. And, you know, these two races view this event through different ways. And, you know, like look at the the Tauren and the Night Elves, how they look at uh, Anshi and uh, Elune and, and, and like going through like their reverence of it and why it's different. And then having the Blood Elves go through and do their thing. Like there's all these like little tiny chains and then saying, okay, well we can take these chains and we can kind of pull them back and link them to this core concept of a paladin. And here's how it would work. Here's how the power structure would work. Here's how the social structure would work. Those were super fun. And we would never have gotten into those questions or or those topics. I mean, we might've, but we wouldn't have gotten there nearly as quickly if it wasn't for, you are listeners sending in a question like anything else you want to add to that one, Matt? No, I think we're good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just, just some highlights over the last year. Uh, hopefully you have some favorite moments as well. Uh, and we do want to thank you for sticking with us for the, the entire time that we've been doing this. It does mean a lot to us. Uh, and honestly, let me know, let us know some of your favorite podcast moments or some, some of your favorite topics that we've covered. Ping us on Twitter, uh, ping us in discord. Let us know. I would love to know what you enjoyed us doing uh this past year watch uh, so we can do more make sure that you guys get your money's worth but we are going to move over to some questions here uh that you our listeners have again sent to us uh some of these are left over uh from the last previous weeks that we just haven't been able to get through uh, and i want to see if we can clear some of these out before we start getting into some more varied topics also because i want to just some of these are just great questions uh, but I'm going to go ahead and start. And this one is, comes from a person who goes by the name of Jin. Uh, I feel like I missed something and it's been bugging me for quite a while. 
In Chronicle Volume 1, it describes how Norganon saved the spirits of the Titans when Sargeras destroyed their bodies. The Titan spirits flew across the cosmos and smashed into the Titan Keepers, most notably High Keeper Ra, who realized that this meant, or what this meant, and went into a deep depression. Okay, with that very quick backstory, do you have any idea how the spirits of the Titans showed up in the Antorus raid? Great raid, can't make sense of the lore. Yeah, I got an easy one for you here. Okay. Uh, when asked about this, the Blizzard dev team said, well, do you remember when the Avatar of Sargeras showed up in Northrend? Where were most of the Titans' essences kept? Mm-hmm. So it had something to do with that. That is the sum total of the explanation we have been given. Uh, we know that Aonar did not end up captured. So she how did Aonar get, yep. yeah, get to Elunaria? I do not know the answer to that question. Um, <clears throat> we know that Elune and the Titans had some kind of relationship because one of the things that one of the pillars of creation uh, that I always want to call pillars of eternity, because man, that game is pretty good. But regardless, <laughs> uh, one of the pillars of creation was a tier of a loon. It had, it was not an Aonar thing. Mm-hmm. So why is that? We don't know. We don't know what connection Aonar had to a loon. We know that a loon isn't Aonar because Aonar is currently stuck in the throne, you know, the seat of the Pantheon. And Elune is still out doing stuff because we just saw her in the last patch. But there is a connection. <clears throat> in terms of how Sargeras got his hands on the others, that's not explicitly stated. We know that Kaikipa Ra actually took the Titan Essence out of himself. Um, he removed it. And he wasn't the only one to get it either. Uh, that's the other thing. The Titan Essence didn't just go into one Keeper. Ra got Amonthul, but so did um, somebody else. And I can't remember if it was um, our old friend Odin or not, but Odin was the the prime designate. I think it was Odin. Yeah. So it's possible that Odin also had it. At some point, he removed his. I don't know if Odin directly removed his or if it was simply taken from him or something else. I don't know. That Do not understand. Do not know. But that's what we were told, that the Arvatar of Sargeras was in Northrend messing around with dragons for a very specific reason that had related to the the Titan aspects. And since the the when the the various dragons gained their aspect status, they had visions interacting with the Titans. So it's very possible that the Titan essences were involved in it, and that's why they were able. You know, we've even seen it again in uh, Battle for Azeroth. When we're empowering our uh, heart of Azeroth, we use various energies from the the dragon flights, even though they don't have aspects anymore, mm-hmm. because those energies have collected inside various artifacts of the dragon flights. So it's possible that the these Titan essences have been, you know, literally were hanging around inside Azeroth the whole time. That they just used the uh, Titan keepers as a means to reach it. But then Sargeras showed up and grabbed him. I guess. Or other demons, yeah. because we do know that the, yeah. the burning the, the burning legion had essentially hunters, right? They had uh, hounds and hound masters and creatures that were specifically designated for hunting, searching, and uh, finding things, much like yeah. rangers or, or things like that. So it is plus. I mean, look at what you when we went to Alduar, we saw in I think it was in Legion that Alduar was under attack, mm-hmm. and Hodir gets kidnapped. Like they actually kidnap Hodir. Do they take an essence out of Hodir at that time? I don't know, but it is something that happens. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that's really where it sort of comes in because we also we also don't know the real true details too about what happened with Sargeras destroying their bodies and if he was able to snag anything, right? Because as Matt pointed out, the Titan essences were definitely able to be split. And what if they were able to split further or what if he wasn't able to grab everything? And what if what the Titan watchers got wasn't the full shebang? Um, So like, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Uh, And it's something that we probably won't know. I want to say almost ever, because at this point, the time of Titans is kind of done. We might get some hints at it moving forward. Like there might be some uh, information that might actually be related to the Titans or at least the creation of uh, souls or or just life in general as we're going through Xerath Mortis, uh, since that seems to be, while it's the Forge of Afterlives, there seems to be some linkage there since, uh, again, we see, and this is some slight spoilers if you've been avoiding it in the next patch, we see like proto, proto versions or new versions, experimental versions of the Pantheon of Death that are being created or are there. We're not entirely sure yet. I believe that 
the statement was that it were created using the the engine. Uh, but if it could do that, does that give us any insight into what was going on, is going on, or did happen with the Titans? Yeah. Because speaking Ar- of spoilers, by the way, the fact that um, Argus died in our hands, mm-hmm. his power was used by the Pantheon to trap Sargeras, and yet it was also used uh, to jam up the Arbiter, which means that somehow, and we don't know how, the Jailer grabbed it and managed to use it because remember we were told that Titan souls don't go to, to the Shadowlands. When it went into the Arbiter, the Arbiter broke down, couldn't process it. What's up with that? How could it be used simultaneously to trap Sargeras and to screw up the Arbiter at the same time? Did we actually get confirmation that it was Argus that did that? Yeah, they've, they've, they've gave them. It's, it's leaked from 9.2. Oh, I mean, they might change it if they decide to change it, they might, but it's, it's out there. People have data mined it. Yeah, because there was some speculation, too, that it might have been caused by what, what Denathrius was doing as well with, or it might even be in conjunction with, with the messing around with the uh, the light and uh, how to weaponize it. And we still don't know fully what he did to that that uh, Naru, but we know that the Naru can't go back. So there's a lot of, of, of weird things that are probably going to get some information or some explanation with 9.2, which is good because we kind of need it. Uh, but I think we'll find out a little bit more there. And as far as, uh, what he was doing with the, uh, the Titan souls in the Antorus raid, uh, hopefully that part is clear. Uh, but if not, he was essentially doing exactly what he's trying to do with what he did with Agamar, which is, uh, torture it to the point where it becomes loyal to him and he gets part of his family back, which is why when we go and encounter, uh, the coven, I believe it is, they're torturing the souls of or the essences of the Titans uh, and trying to essentially break them so that they will go uh, and accept a new coding or, or a new station, uh, which I always thought was fascinating, too, because I always I always loved pointing out that at the end of the day, Sargeras was really lonely because he had Agamar. Great. And that was like his second in command, uh, which was the semblance of his old life. But he didn't have his family. He didn't have any other Titans. He had demons. He had, you know, Archimonde and he had killed Jaden, but those aren't equals. They're not equals to him, even if they think they are. And so like everything he did was trying to get his family back, which was just weird and sick and twisted in how he was doing it. Uh, but yeah, so we see them being tortured. We see them, their essences being used by the coven. Uh, and it was just, it was always an interesting encounter. And in particular, I always loved pointing out, is one of my favorite things is in that encounter when you're looking at their souls, their constellations, like they're constellations of stars. And this is very similar to what you see when you look at uh, when we looked at Argus, because uh, when you're in the raid, you see the I think it's when you fight Agamar, you go and you see uh, like his soul hanging in the balance, like in that center, like point. Uh, it is the soul of Argus being tortured and used. Uh, and then when you are in deep home, Back during Cataclysm, you used to be able to look up at the ceiling. I don't know if you can anymore. I don't know if it's still there. Um, but there used to be a constellation in like a pink cloud uh, that formed a circle of, of stars. Uh, and it was all very like interesting to me that these these titanic creatures, these beings that are sent to order the universe, are essentially constellations. They're, they're, that's what their souls look like. I always found that fascinating. And I don't know if there's anything that we'll get about that moving forward, but yeah. I'm well, a, it's interesting to note that there's a Constellar in the new raid. Yes, there is. Because there was a Constellar and Zareth, Zareth Mortis that had been dominated. So there's some interesting stuff coming up, and hopefully we'll get some more answers. Uh, hopefully more answers than questions, but who knows? Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move on to our next question. Uh, and this one comes from uh, Malfetius, who has asked us many questions in the past. Uh, I really liked the most recent lore watch in which you discussed the new Sylvanas cinematic and appreciate the conversation. That being said, I feel like there was a major part of the cinematic that I'm not sure others picked up on. You spoke about how the scene with both uh, Sylvanas, uh, Sylvani question mark, mirrored the Harbinger short, and that's very much the case. But what about the uh, what about how the end mirrors the death of Vol'jin, where she gets named Warchief, down to camera angle and music choice? What are the implications there? Just a thought. Any ideas, Matt? No, because um, guys, I'm blind. I'm mostly looking at blurs when I look at cinematics. That's why I let Joe do that whole thing last time talking about the visual aspects, because I mean, literally I have to be squinting and blinking a lot to make out any detail. Um, 
So I'll be upfront. Didn't notice that. And couldn't actually tell you if it was true. Like if, you know, you're talking about it right now. I could not tell you. Maybe that's what the maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not. I, um, so yeah. And I have sorry. a, no, no, you're fine. Uh, it, it's, I don't know if I got that same perspective. I don't think I saw the same thing you're seeing there. Fiches. So there's this, this sort of, and I believe the scene you're referring to is, uh, where she wakes up on the, uh, the lounge, whatever, when her eyes open, uh, and she like takes a gasp, like that scene is similar that it is a tight close up, but, and it's very dramatic music, but I think that's really, and I don't know if it's intentional to, to have a callback between the two, because I don't know what the significance would be in those two moments. So in the moment with Vol'jin, where he is naming Sylvanas the next war chief, he's dying. His last breath is to name her war chief. It is a dramatic swell because it's something nobody expected. Uh, and then he dies. And that's sort of like the end of the scene. And in this case, it's almost, I don't want to say the inverse. Uh, and maybe that is sort of the tie, but it's the music swells to this the dramatic sequence where Uther has gone through and talked with her and presented, uh, you know, here's what it is to be broken. Here's what it is to be fractured. You need to accept that these are things you did, that this is you. This is not a monster that is wearing your skin. It's you. It's a part of you. You did these things. It, you can't You can't do anything to fix it until you accept that. And then once you accept that, you can move forward and try to fix things. And then shirt, you know, get to that moment. He makes the statement. Uh, that I've done all I can. It's up to her now. And then her eyes open up, music swells, and then it cuts. So I think it is more a cinematic sort of framework than it is a deliberate yeah. tieback. If that's what it is, by the way, I just went and like squinted my way through both of them. And it isn't really even a similar angle. Like Vol'jin is sitting and slumping down into a chair. She's laying down. She's flat on her back. And the, the angle is directly from above her on her face, as opposed to the Vulgin one where he is, like I said, slumping. And it's an, it is at an angle. It is not directly on the face. But again, I'm a blind person. I have a real hard time. With, like I had to, like, I, I put my face up to the screen so I could get a sense of what I was talking about. Yeah, it's so I will just say I don't really see it, but I'm not arguing that you're wrong. It's just very hard for me to. To see that, I'm not seeing. It. That's I, I, just just it. I could see it. I could see the potential for it there. Um, so, like, I, but I don't. I, I don't think that's what they were intentionally going for. I think that might be an incidental. So there's this thing where Matt and I talk about this a lot, and I think it's a good. This is a good kind of. I don't want to say segue, but to kind of put it in there, there are certain things. There are certain tropes, and tropes isn't necessarily a bad word. Uh, it's just a shorthand for here are some standard uh, techniques or framing or things that you do in certain situations. And at the end of the day, this, the Wild Cinematic Team is exceptionally talented. Uh, Turn Gregory and everybody he works with are just phenomenal uh, as far as that, as far as storytelling, as far as presenting things go and working with what they're they're given as far as what it's supposed to be. They do a phenomenal job, but they also are very tethered to almost a classical way of thinking in a lot of cases. And that's not a bad thing. It's like, if you watch a, uh, an action movie of any type, you'll see the same key frames. You'll see the same key type of sequences because those are our standard operating procedures for those types of movies. Same thing with like uh, comic book movies that we've gotten to a point where Marvel has sort of defined a set of things that this is a comic book movie now. And now when you go and look at other comic book movies, You'll see others trying to mimic that because it becomes a standard playbook. And so you can find similarities between, you know, Shazam and Spider-Man if you really want to, uh, because there are certain frames and, 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 and cinema techniques that they just both use. It's not a bad thing, but it's not always necessarily a, a direct tie to those other things. Um, it's also why if you've ever watched some of the super cuts on YouTube or, or where people will take cuts of different movies and that they splice together so well is because of things like that. And so when you're looking at some of the cinematics, there is some of that in wow, 
There is some of that, like if you go back and, and watch some of the cinematics during the Siege of Ogremar, uh during that entire patch, and then go back to Warlords of Draenor and look at the some of the cinematics there, you can draw some similarities into how things are presented, some of the framing and some of the key work, but it's not necessarily trying to tie those two together, anything more than that. So again, you're not wrong, uh, but I don't know if I... I don't know that it was 100% intentional. It might have been. It might not have been. And honestly, if anybody from that team is listening, I would love to know if that was the what you intended. To. Hopefully that answers your question. Maybe that and a little bit more Malficious. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move on to our next one. And this one comes from our good friend Razorbird, uh, who recently just joined us on Patreon. So thank you again for that. Greetings, watchers. What watch the watchers? Uh, your answer to a question last week about the origins of Azerothian races and the curse of flesh got me thinking. We know gnomes can be transformed between flesh and stone slash metal. We see in a Northrend. We have seen both forms of dwarves or even crystal in one case. We've also seen the Vrykrul have a non-flesh analog, but since humans are only descended from a Titan construct, not directly from one, do you think humans are immune from immune from a reverse curse of flesh? Would they not have the code to trigger or reverse that, that you speculated last week? Or do you perhaps think that they would be transformed back into a large iron Vrykrul, or maybe even a new form of non-Titan forged? Has this already happened in lore? And then there's a bonus question here, uh, which do you think Magni's bling form has any relation to some implementation of hers? Um, Matt, you love Rykul. You, you've, you've actually talked uh, in one of our episodes quite a bit about the descendancy of humans from Rykul. Would you like to, to take first stab at this? Okay. Um, humans are not immune to the curse of flesh, uh, or reverse engineering it because we've seen the exact same thing happen to other beings that descended from a Titan. Like for instance, the, uh, the Tolvir in, in Old Deer. I, I won't say Old Deer, but it's Oldham. I always want to call it Oldir. Sorry. Oldir, Oldir on the brain. Yeah. But Oldham, <laughs> the, the Tolvir we see in Oldham get decursed and they are descended from big obsidian destroyers. They're not descended from Tolvir. The Tolvir, as we see them, are smaller, don't have wings. There's very clear, very much as humans turned from big, you know, imposing Vrykul down to humans, you see the same thing happening with the Tolvir. And yet the Tolvir are turned into constructs by Deathwing's cure to the Curse of Flesh. So it is, there's no reason to assume humans would be like, nope, I'm staying fleshy. Uh, there's, I don't think that they would swell back up and become Rykul. I think they would simply become construct-like. They would essentially be much like the Tolvir did. The Tolvir did not turn back up into Obsidian Destroyers. They didn't turn into Moam. They just turned into stone beings. Mm-hmm. And that's likely what would happen. People forget this. Dwarves aren't dwarves are the descendants just like humans are. Like for instance, Magni was the child of other dwarves. He wasn't like, you know, Magni wasn't a an earthen and then one day turned into a dwarf. No, he's at just like what you said about the humans, that's what happened to Magni as and, well. And don't forget that all some of the, some of the, the earthen some of the earthen also became trogs too. Yeah, some of the earthen became trogs. Uh and those trogs were later changed into grommels and so forth. But also, um, there's some debate as to whether or not the Trogs are just from Earthen, because the gnomes were created. When we talk about construct races, the gnomes were created as mechanical beings. Mm-hmm. They weren't just stone and rock. They were metal, and they were gears and, and so forth. And yet, they were vulnerable to the Curse of Flesh. And we've seen, at least in Mechagon, that one gnome went so crazy trying to turn them back, but couldn't figure out how that he just began amputating parts and putting metal ones on in place. Um, Cause that's what happened in Mechagon. They didn't undo the curse of flesh. They were simply cutting pieces of themselves off and replacing them. They were making them cyborgs essentially. Like if you look at yeah. the, the, I believe it, it was a, the comic that they released right beforehand with the Explorer that wound up getting turned into essentially a, cyborg basically his brain got shoved into a robot body uh like that's what they were doing there they weren't reversing yep. it now so it, the but we know that they can because when you go to uh when you're doing wrath of the lich king and you go to the borean tundra there's mecha is uh Gearmaster mechazod mm-hmm. and mechazod straight up turns gnomes back into constructs despite the fact that there is no living gnome who was ever a construct that was turned into a gnome all those gnomes that he changes were gnomes. Yep. They were born. They had mothers and fathers. They had lives as gnomes. They may even have had their own children. And yet he turned all of them back into mecha gnomes. 
So there's plenty, there's no specific evidence of this. We've never seen a human affected by the cure to the curse of flesh. We've never seen a human reverted, but we've seen other beings that were born from beings that were converted or descended from them, sometimes at great length, because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason to assume humans would be different. When we've got, we see it happening to gnomes, we see it happening to dwarves, we see it happening to Tolvir. There's no reason to think it wouldn't happen to know. In fact, it even happens to Mogu. I was just going to bring up the Mogu, yeah. Yeah. Keep in mind that the Thunder King was was a flesh-descended one. Uh, Li Shen was a fleshy Mogu who was, like I think, a child or a grandchild of Mogu who'd begun turning to flesh. And he went to, to uh, Ra, Raden, and was like, you got to fix us. And Raden was like, there's no point. Um, you know whether or not he said that because he was depressed about the whole Titan revelations, or because this is what they were supposed to be. That I have no idea. Um, but he he didn't do it. So Li Shen ripped the information and the power out of Raden and ate his heart. Like the reason that Raden has that giant chest wound is because his heart got yanked out and consumed. Mm-hmm. And then Li Shen had the exact same thing happen to him. Uh, we, which is where uh, Rathion got what he understands to be true about the Titans and Azeroth in particular. So we don't know for sure. There's I, there's no specific evidence. No one's ever sh- shown a human doing it, but there's a lot of related evidence that would imply that, yeah, you could totally do that to a human. I've been thinking about this a lot re- like since getting this question from, from Razorberg. One of the things that stands out to me is I think maybe we're we're thinking about quote unquote the curse of flesh in the wrong way. And I think at least partially. I think that it wasn't like we've talked about before, it's not a curse. I think that it is sort of like the natural transition of things when the war is over. You get to be fleshy bags and proliferate and, you know, generate souls and and whatever the case is. I think the idea of reversing it is wrong. I don't think that you're actually reversing it. I think that's what they call it because that's what they want, right? It's it's a matter of perception. So, like, look at the Tulvir, where we want to go back to the way they were. But even when it's, quote, unquote, reversed, it's not actually reversed. It's, it's like Matt pointed out, they're not going back to being obsidian destroyers. They're just turning into stone living creatures. They're being transmogrified, essentially, in the same manner that Mogu do with everything around them. Every race in Pandaria, essentially, with the exception of uh, the bugs, um, with the exception of them, were tinkered with at some point by the Mogu. The Mogu were flesh crafters. They're flat out called this. And I think instead of reversing the curse of flesh, what we're seeing is flesh crafting. We're seeing something that can be made malleable in the case of the coding already exists for us to evolve and change. And then that being manipulated, you're not actually taking away the curse or reversing it or reverting it. You're just recompiling it. It's like knocking the Legos over and then building something new with the exact same pieces. So like, again, Matt pointed out, you have trogs that then became grummels because the Mogu decided they needed grummels. They needed subservient, uh, super powerful pack creatures, essentially. So they made them. Uh, you have the the Jinyu, which were morphed from. Um, why can't I think of their name now? Um, wow, they're everywhere. Murlocs. Thank you. Uh, they're morphed from Murlocs living near the pools. Okay, they're still transmogrified. They're still transmorph. We know that they can also be corrupted. We know that they can also be shifted. So humans still carry that sort of genetic code. Where it's like, yes, you're, you you went from Vicryl, Stone Vicryl, or Elemental Vicryl to Vicryl, from Vicryl to Smaller Vicryl, from Smaller Vicryl to Humans, and you still have the ability to be manipulated or to be changed, and we see it all the time. We see humans that get uh, corrupted by the Void, or are reborn, or uh, transmor- transmogrified into to different forms. Um, it's, it's there, it's present. So I think maybe that's more it and that there is not actually no reversing of the curse because one, it's not a curse. It's literally just taking your flesh and forming it into something new and just matching whatever perception it is. So by that perspective, I think absolutely that could happen to humans. I, I mean, if they can take on old God appearances and have tentacle faces, why can't they, you know, possibly be turned into stone or elemental? I think that makes perfect sense, at least to me. And in terms of Magni, I think that's another case of it. So 
Magni's bling form, I think, has to do more so with not the curse reversing, but him being reborn and being reconfigured in the way that Azeroth felt was most appropriate. I mean, for that matter, let's look at the fact that it happened not for anything to do with the old gods. Correct. It happened when looking at stuff they pulled out of Oldowar. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a ritual in the ritual was intended to make it possible for him to understand the pain the world was in. That's why he did it to talk to Azeroth. And And it worked. It just took him a while to regain control of his facilities after the ritual went off. Like the moment it changed him, he was more in contact with Azeroth than he'd ever been to the point where during cataclysm thrall senses Magni. Yeah. When when we're going through through that whole thing, right? Like when we're going through the whole, um, uh, quest line with thrall, he, he specifically calls it out a being of diamond. I think he says, just like that. Well, I know it's in the short story as well. The one where thrall has a run in with Deathwing and, ultimately decides to try and help everybody. He specifically calls out that there's a, there's a living entity underneath that mountain. There's a being that I can sense that is part of the earth. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something that's specific to call out to. And Matt makes a really great point is it's not, it's not a dragon aspect doing it. It's not uh, an old God doing it. It's literally that ritual turned Magni into what he is when he attuned himself to Azeroth. And I think there is a certain level of, uh, imprinting that was done. So Azeroth is a child in, in all aspects. We've we've heard that multiple times. A scared, dreaming child. Um, hence the nightmares. Hence that Alduar sequence that we deal with with Magni. And to a child that's essentially constructed out of stone and ore and everything else. From their perspective, the things that have lasted for thousands and thousands and thousands of years or an eternity for us, but a blink of an eye for them, the things that are most durable are ore. It's stone, it's metal, it's it's these things that are are not fleshy and soft. And gems tend to be among some of the hardest materials. We know that they're used as magic focuses. They're used as uh, items uh, of great value. They're used in uh, rune crafting and all sorts of other aspects of a lot of different things on Azeroth. So like Magni being transformed into essentially a diamond version of himself makes a lot of sense, especially if he's going to be uh, the speaker of Azeroth and be a focus point. So he reaches, he does the, the, the ritual casting reaches out to Azeroth. Hey, I'm here. Talk to me. And Azeroth goes, I don't want you to die. Cause I need somebody who's going to be around for a while. By the way, I'm going to turn you into diamond now. Cause that's what I need you to be. And then poof, he's diamond. And he had, he has fantastic magic channeling ability now too. He's opened gateways. He's been able to use Titan technology in a way that we can't, uh, in his way that his brother never could, uh, as has been made evident many, many times over. So I think there's a purpose to that. And Titan technology also seems to revolve around this idea of, uh, I don't want to say like just crystals, but like magical focuses and combining almost like science and technology with that fantastical magic. And we see that throughout everything. We saw that through, look at, look at uh Drenai civilization, look at the Drenai civilization before they got corrupted and became the Sargeri. Like they integrated crystals into everything. They were magical focus points. Uh, you know, we know that you can put souls in crystal. That's a huge thing. We literally just talked about that last week with death Knights. I think him turning into a crystalline creature is not an accident. And I don't think it was a reversal of the curse of flesh. I think it was an intentional choice uh, made by the thing he was contacting to, uh, to basically transmogrify him into something that would be most useful for Azeroth. Azeroth can literally channel herself through Magni when she needs to. We've heard him speak in a voice that is not his own. We've heard him, uh, we've seen him do all sorts of things that he was never able to do before. He was a mountain. Not king. just Azeroth. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Go ahead, please. Argus. Argus spoke as well. Yes. Argus spoke through him as well. If theoretically, if Magni were on another world with a Titan soul, he could communicate with it. The form he has taken seems very much to be just a universal receptor for Titan forged or Titan souls. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps even bigger than that, perhaps there are other kinds of world souls than Titan ones, but he can communicate with those too. I don't know, but I do know that he's definitely spoken to it through. He's definitely been the mouthpiece for two of them. Cause he didn't just, when he went to Argus, he was speaking for Argus. Um, felt, it was in yeah, so much pain. Argus. Yeah. Yeah. It was in so much pain that he couldn't really, 
say much for it. It just was just like, I'm in agonizing pain. But nevertheless, he did speak for it. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, the credence to the credence to the theory, then, at least in that regard. But I, I think ultimately that's what it boils down to is I, I think that the curse of flesh isn't necessarily a curse. And I don't think it's something that's reversible. I think it's just the ability to change that's coded into everything that that is descended on, the, on that planet, uh, because everything can be morphed. Everything can be shifted. Uh, look at night elves. Night elves were born from night trolls, right? And exposure to a titanic power. Uh, it seems like change is just a constant thing. And that quote unquote reversing the curse of flesh is just manipulating that ability to be changed in a manner that suits whoever is doing the crafting. And I think Mogu really are the key with their extensive flesh crafting. Not only did they want to turn themselves back into uh, stone forms to be more powerful and, and resilient, which sure there's some truth of that, but look at again, every race that they touched Pandaren wouldn't have existed without their tinkering. Like half the races in, in, in Pandaria would not be there if it wasn't for fleshcraft, legitimately fleshcraft. And I think maybe that's the way we start thinking about it is can this be fleshcrafted? And if that's it, maybe it's not the curse of flesh. Maybe it's the gift of fleshcraft, but anything else you want to add, Matt? I mean, the thing is, is that this is all conjecture because it's based on a few things that have been mentioned in the game from time to time. Um, but it is whether the curse of flesh is, I think that the curse of flesh as we've experienced it is just the old gods using something in a way it wasn't intended to be used because that's what they're really good at doing. Uh, using things in a way they're not intended to be used. Corruption, that is their deal. The reason that that is their deal is that they don't seem very inventive. So I think that what we're calling the curse of flesh is something they didn't invent, because that would imply that they had invented it, and I don't think that they can do that. Or at least they're not very good at it. They, the, the, In order to invent something, in order to create something, you have to decide all the things it isn't. Like, what's the old statement, um, the old saw about uh, Michelangelo carving? Like, you know, I just get the rock and I take away all the stuff that isn't the mm-hmm. elephant. Mm-hmm. That's you can't, if you can't do that, if everything is true, nothing is true because you don't pick anything. They're all just possibilities. The old gods don't know how to pick a thing. They just know how to shunt it to another thing, to another pathway. So that's what I think. That's something to keep in mind as we talk about this in the future. I tend to agree. But I think that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Uh, as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. As a reminder, uh, not that we should have to remind anybody, but... Those of us at Blizzard Watch, we we still stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard and, in fact, the game industry as a whole in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment. Uh, I do want to thank you all uh, from a, a, a little bit of an emotional standpoint here. The last couple of years have been very rough on everybody out there, and we've gotten a lot of comments from uh, our listeners and readers out there that we help to make it a little better for some of you. Uh, hopefully many of you, hopefully you enjoy what we talk about and it gives you a little bit of a brief escape. You do that for us as well. Without your support, without your questions, without your interactions, this community, we wouldn't be here and not to blow up anybody's spot, but there's been several weeks where I know myself or Matt have been pretty low, uh, just because of, well, wave hands at everything that's going on here in the world. And Getting into the the spirit of the show, getting into the interactions and, and answering your questions. And I know interacting with the community at large when we're doing our live streams for the, the Blizzard Watch podcast and interacting with you on Discord, it makes it better and it makes it easier to deal with what we have to do, at least from my perspective. So I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your continued support. And hopefully we can keep this train rolling uh, indefinitely because we love doing it and hopefully you love listening to it. But Without further ado, folks, we love you guys. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Dolphins. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.